Hi, and welcome back to To Think Minimum. Today is Thursday, July 27th, and I'm Sarah O'Lamb, Senior Fellow of the Technology Policy Institute. I'm joined by Scott Walston, President and Senior Fellow of TPI. Today, we're delighted to have as our guest, Eugene Volokh. Professor Volokh is the Gary Schwartz Distinguished Professor of Law at UCLA School of Law. He teaches First Amendment law and an amicus brief clinic, has often taught copyright law, criminal law, tort law, and a seminar on firearms regulation policy. He clerked for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court. He's also founder of the Volokh Conspiracy, a leading legal blog and author of legal textbooks on the First Amendment, as well as over 90 law review articles. Prior to law, he worked um, as a computer programmer for 12 years and graduated with a, a bachelor's in science and math and computer science at age 15. And he's also written many articles on computer software. Today, Eugene is here to chat about his new law review article on LLMs, but not large language models, it's entitled Large Liable Models, Liability for AI Output. So there's so much to talk about um, in AI, and there's really no better person to discuss this topic than Professor Vala. Thanks, Eugene, for joining the program. Uh, thanks very much for having me. First, would you mind giving us just a quick overview of your law review article? Like, we'll try and connect it with some points in the news, but first, we're just curious to hear more about your article. Sure. So the question my article raises is, say somebody does a Bing search, you using Bing's new AI-driven search uh, technology and get some information about the person he's searching for. And that information turns out to be false, turns out to be false and damaging to the person's reputation. So to give one example of a lawsuit that has already been filed, say somebody searches for Jeffrey Battle, Jeff E-R-Y, somewhat unusual spelling of that. And he sees uh, uh, Bing say, oh, Jeffrey Battle is uh, uh, an uh, um, uh, aerospace expert who's an agile professor at a university. Um, uh, but then Bing says, Jeffrey Battle, however, was, excuse me, Battle, however, not mentioning his name, uh, his first name, uh, was also uh, convicted of essentially a terrorism offense. And it turns out that's a different battle. That's Jeffrey spelled R-E-Y rather than E-R-Y. If he just had done a Google search, let's say, Without any AI assistance, he'd see maybe there's a story about Jeffrey and Jeffrey, and maybe he'd realize, maybe the user would realize that those are two different people. But the AI software merges the two together and presents them as if they're about the same person. Uh, can uh, Jeffrey Battle sue for libel? He actually is suing for libel. Can he prevail in his lawsuit uh, for libel? Um, and that's an interesting and important question. Historically, of course, libel lawsuits have been brought about against people or against corporations for the actions of people who are employed there. Uh, what happens if uh, uh, the uh, allegedly libelous output is actually created by an AI? Obviously, you can't sue the AI. Uh, because it's a program, not a person or an entity or a le legally recognized entity. But can you sue Microsoft? Can you sue OpenAI for letting out into the wild this material or this uh, software that produces what appears to be defamatory material? Um, can I ask a quick a question? Not not a lawyer, so um, take these comments as as that. Does context matter for this? So Microsoft made the decision to put OpenAI along with its search as if it were part of a search engine. If they hadn't done that, would this question be different? Well, context does often matter in law, especially in libel law, because context matters to meaning. Let's say, for example, I go to, to ChatGPT and I say, 
write me a short story about Jeffrey Battle and about how he was convicted of some crime. And it outputs the short story in which the lead character is Jeffrey Battle. That context makes it clear to me as the user that this is not a factual assertion, that this is a fictional story. And generally speaking, you can't sue for libel over something that is clearly fiction. Likewise, if the context is somebody is ranting in an obviously hyperbolic, exaggerated way about some politician or about somebody involved in whatever the internet 15-minute uh, uh, um, uh, hate uh, of the day might be, uh, the context might suggest that this is all kind of over-the-top uh, expression of opinion and not factual assertion. Um, uh, but uh, while the output of a search engine is likely to be seen as a factual assertion. It's not the only thing that's likely to be seen this way. So instead, if instead of going into Bing, I go into uh, ChatGPT and I ask the same query and it gives me false and defamatory results, which I have seen from, uh, from ChatGPT before. Again, I think there the context, absent some specific details, is it looks like it's a factual assertion. To be sure, a lot of these companies are quite reasonably saying, warning, there might be errors in what we're outputting. That too is part of the context, but it's not enough to keep something from being libelous. And one way of thinking about it is imagine I were to tell you, you know, rumor has it that Joe Schmo uh, has been uh, uh, convicted of child pornography. Rumor has it is itself kind of a disclaimer, right? All of us know that rumors are often false, but sometimes true. But I can't get away with saying rumor has it that someone did committed some crime and then just saying, well, I said it was just a rumor, uh, it, especially if I'm the one who made up the rumor. The fact that there is some signal that it might be incorrect doesn't defeat a libel claim. Libel claims can't be brought over things that are obviously fiction but they can be brought over things when the reader understands that there's a possibility that it's true and a possibility it's false. There could be such a libel claim, even given this uncertainty that people uh, recognize about, uh, about the, the, the accuracy of the assertion. And what happens if, you know, there's like a meter next to the result that says this could be 60% accurate or take this with, you know, 70% accuracy is with that, would that change? Well, at some point, we uh, we have to say, you know, there hasn't been a court case quite like that. I don't know of anybody in the past who said, I'm passing this along, there's a 70% uh, uh, chance that it's accurate. People just don't quantify things this way. But again, if I were to say, I'm not sure about this, but I, but I believe that this person is guilty of this crime, or rather, let's be more specific, I'm not sure about this, but... I remember reading that this person was convicted of uh, some crime. That may very well be libelous. Again, likewise, if I were to say, rumor has it, this person has been fired for embezzlement. That is itself sort of a signal that I'm not 100% confident. If I were 100% confident, probably wouldn't say rumor has it. Uh, but that, again, is not enough to immunize me from a libel lawsuit. Now, again, I suppose if somebody were to say, well, this is certainly false, but I just want to pass along what I heard. That might be a defense in libel cases, although not in all cases. Some courts have actually said that passing along an assertion, even saying you don't believe it, may still be libelous. 
Uh, but you can imagine a situation where if something is clearly being presented as a false assertion that you're just repeating because it's important that it was said, maybe that would get you off the hook. But simply saying, I don't have complete confidence in this, I might be mistaken, but that's not enough uh, to, to get you off the hook for a libel lawsuit. And in fact, if we think about it, imagine the classic libel example, lawsuit against a newspaper because the newspaper said something false about someone especially let's assume it's a private figure. So they don't, you don't have to show, the private figure doesn't have to show uh, proof of knowing or reckless falsehood. Do people believe everything they read in the newspaper? I would hope not. Are people aware that there's a risk of error when things are published in a newspaper? Sure. They're particularly aware of the risk of error if the newspaper credits anonymous sources, let's say, or says it's passing along a rumor or whatever else. But that, but because these, kind, these kinds of assertions, even ones that aren't billed as clearly, completely, certainly right, can be very damaging to a person's reputation. Uh, somebody can indeed sue for libel over them. Not to skip too far ahead, but how about remedies and damages? So um, let's say you have, have a successful suit. You know, what kinds of remedies or damages would be available. And if it's AI, wouldn't that be just enormous? Well, so it's complicated. It has so much in law, but in particular in libel lawyers. Let's break this down. Um, let's say that it's a public figure who is suing over something and the assertion is on a matter of public concern. Somebody says, or an AI outputs, this, this mayor was involved in this embezzlement scandal. Under the Supreme Court's uh, uh, First Amendment uh, precedents, uh, the, uh, a public figure or a public official cannot uh, uh, recover in a libel case unless he shows that the statement was said with falsely, I'm sorry, not falsely, with knowledge of falsehood and, or knowledge it was likely false, recklessness as to falsehood. Now, in a typical situation, that would be virtually impossible to show about an AI program. You'd say, you know, nobody at OpenAI, nobody at Microsoft knew the statement was false. But imagine that this person had, once, they, once he saw that this was being output, sent, them, sent a message, sent an email or made, uh, to, uh, to OpenAI saying, you are outputting false stuff about me, or rather your software is outputting false stuff about me. Make it stop. And OpenAI didn't do anything about it, didn't add any kind of protections, didn't add any kind of post-processing filtering that would keep this known false statement from being output. This is, in fact, what Jeffrey Battle is accusing uh, Microsoft of, of doing or not doing. He says, I alerted them about this problem, but, it, but they didn't fix it. Then at that point, maybe, maybe, um, uh, that would be uh, enough to show knowledge of falsehood, that they know that their software is outputting material that's false or at least likely false. At that point, once you can show knowing or, uh, or, or reckless falsehood, the plaintiff could recover both any proven compensatory damages. I lost this consulting contract or this job or whatever else because of this. Also so-called presumed damages, which the law allows a jury to award, uh, uh, on the theory that often it's hard to tell how, how damaging some statement has been to reputation, and maybe even punitive damages on the theory that this kind of known, knowing falsehood, knowing repetition of a falsehood, is something that should be punished. Uh, 
So that's for a public figure. Now let's say it's a private figure and this Jeffrey battle does seem to be a private figure. Uh, well, under the Supreme Court's case law, um, uh, you, a private figure can recover damages for negligence, not just knowing a reckless falsehood, but for negligent falsehood. If he can show specific harms to him, specific losses, like he lost some job or he lost a consulting opportunity, or maybe he lost some social connections or, or kicked out of his club because of it or something like that. Um, uh, that might be quite difficult to show because often, often you don't know about the things you've lost. Uh, so, but at least in principle, he could, if he could show negligence, maybe negligent design, that the software wasn't designed in a way that adequately uh, seeks to prevent publication of libelous statements, then he might be able to recover uh, those damages. There's one other category, so-called statements on matters of private concern. And there the Supreme Court said you can recover proven compensatory damages and um, uh, presumed damages and even punitive damages uh, merely on a showing of negligence. I oversimplify here, but basically that. Uh, so let's say, for example, there's some, the software outputs an accusation this person committed adultery, generally seen as a matter of private concern. Or an accusation, let's say, that the person committed some some relatively low profile crime. Many courts say that allegations of low profile crimes uh, are matters of private concern. Uh, then at that point, the remedies might include this whole set of damages without a showing of knowing falsehood. Again, you'd probably need to show negligent design. And that's itself a complicated question, like how would a court decide whether the software was or was not negligently designed? Where, where does, in the process does um, where do you, where do you put the person who's um, asking the questions, who's who's prompting the AI? Because gener the nature of generative AI is that it won't give you the same answer exactly the same. I think it won't give you exactly the same answer more than once, and you can make it say anything by prompting it enough times. Right. Um, and also, when it does give you an answer, no matter how libelous it is or not, it's just on your screen. Somebody has to amplify that message, right? Um, well, so how does quite. that fit in? Not quite. So here's right. why. So, so let's look at three scenarios. Here's one scenario. I write something and I say, or I'm sorry, I, I go to uh, ChatGPT and I write the following prompt. Uh, um, uh, come up with an accusation against Scott Walston uh, that you've made up. And it outputs something. It accuses you of stealing from petty cash. That's not libel because I know perfectly well that this is false. Uh, I asked it to make up something false. It's really the creation of fiction. Uh, so there's no libel there. Here's another situation. Let's say I were to say, uh, let's say somebody were to say, um, uh, has Eugene Wallach committed any crimes? That's not a signal to, to come up, to make up crimes. It's a query asking for factual information. And you, and it does say, yes, Eugene Volokh uh, uh, was convicted of uh, beating his dog, kicking his dog. My wife would have been extremely upset with me <laughs> if that were so. Um, uh, and then you pass it along. Well, then an interesting question is, could you be guilty of libel for passing it along? Right. Uh, and there we'd reach some of, we'd deal with some of the same questions. If I'm just a private figure, one question is, was it negligent of you? to rely on ChatGPT? Was it careless of you to do that? 
perhaps, probably, although it's an interesting question, what a reasonable person who often doesn't know a lot about AI would do in that situation. We've seen at least three examples so far of lawyers who apparently uh, uh, filed in court uh, AI-generated motions which, which hallucinated, which made up court cases, precedents that don't exist. You know, I think the lawyers thought that the motions were legit, uh, and I do think they were being careless, they were being negligent, but at least some people are, are duped by some of what they hear about, uh, about AI. But here's the third category. Let's say that you're thinking about whether to hire me as a consultant, and you just enter Eugene Volokh, and I'll, it says you know, Eugene Volokh was uh, disbarred by the state of Vermont. I wasn't. I've never been a member of the Vermont Bar, but let's say it didn't. And then you don't pass this along. You just say, wow, I certainly don't want an expert or I don't want a consultant who's been disbarred. Um, so then you just don't hire me. You're not liable for that, right? Just like if you heard a rumor about me, believed it, wrongly believed it, but believed it and decided not to hire me, you wouldn't be liable for that. It's not a tort or any other kind of legally cognizable wrong to be duped into not hiring someone. Uh, so, so I couldn't sue you for not hiring me. You had no obligation to hire me. But maybe in that situation, I might be able to sue the AI company for outputting false statements about me uh, that led you not to hire me. And by the way, this is actually, there's nothing terribly new about that. Classic libel example. It's been uh, the, the, from uh, it's been understood as a feature of libel law for hundreds of years. Somebody writes someone a letter saying, "I know you're considering employing so and so, but I will tell you, he stole from me when uh, when he was my employee." The recipient of the letter, if he refuses to hire so and so, is not com committing any tort. There's no basis for suing that person for believing the letter, but there is a basis for suing the letter writer if the accusations in the letter are false. And how does this analysis like enter, you know, how, how is it done for search engines or in Section 230 cases? How, how is AI different now? Sure. That it's coming straight out of the, the mouth of the, of the engine. Well, so that it is exactly in that. It's that it's straight out of the mouth of the AI. And here's how. So, uh, Section 230, uh, federal statute, provides immunity for, um, uh, for online companies when they're sued for somebody else's speech. Here's the relevant provision. I oversimplify here because there are other provisions in aid of it. But basically, I'm reading right now, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider by another information content provider. So let's say I Google Joe Schmo. Out comes Google, uh, Google's link to a page which accuses Joe Schmo of awful things. And maybe it includes a snippet from that page accusing Joe Schmo of awful things. If, I, if Joe Schmo sues Google, he will lose because he would be suing over information provided by another information content provider, the operator of that page. But in the case I mentioned, Jeffrey Battle, he's not suing over information provided by some other entity. He is suing 
over what uh, Bing itself, based on the GPT model, what Bing itself is, um, uh, is outputting. It is information that is provided by the defendant him, uh, itself. Um, uh, that the problem is that uh, uh, Bing takes two accurate sources, one about Jeffrey Battle and the other about Jeffrey Battle, the terrorist, as opposed to Jeffrey Battle, the aerospace professor, and links them together. It says, first, Jeffrey Battle, also known as the aerospace professor, is, and then explains things about him. However, Battle was sentenced to 18 years in prison. He's saying it's what Bing added, the however, with together with the link between the two, saying just battle rather than noting the difference about in the battles. That's what he's suing over. Likewise, in the other lawsuit, Walters v. OpenAI, what happened is um, a, 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 a journalist uh, asked ChatGPT to summarize a complaint in a court case. And ChatGPT said, oh, this is a lawsuit against Mark Walters for embezzlement. Turns out that complaint had nothing to do with Mark Walters and had nothing to do with embezzlement. Now Mark Walters is suing OpenAI. And his theory is that OpenAI should be held responsible not for information provided by another information content provider, but information that it itself provided, that it itself uh, or th th that its own software hallucinated to use the term that's being used here. So that is the key difference. Um, and by the way, this, this arises in other situations as well. If I uh, quote something on my blog from another web page, I am generally immune on section 230. For, I'm sorry, immune from liability based on section 230. But if instead of just quoting it, I just say it myself, well, of course I'm not immune. Uh, because I'm being sued for what I myself said. Likewise, that's the basis for at least the lawsuits that we've seen so far uh, over AI libels, the claim that uh, the AI company's software itself created the false information, rather than just, just accurately quoting it from some other source. And how do you view these arguments so far? I mean, do some seem to carry more weight with you than, than others? Right. I mean, I think a lot depends on the facts. So, for example, in the Walters case, uh, pretty likely that Mark Walters is a public figure. He is himself a noted uh, uh, noted uh, online speaker. I think he's a radio talk show host as well. Uh, he's a, a gun rights activist. Uh, so maybe he's a public figure. And if that's so, then he'd have to show knowing a reckless falsehood on the part of OpenAI. Um, and... Uh, uh, at least so far, there hasn't been any, any allegation that he had informed OpenAI uh, of, uh, of the problem, uh, of the false things that were being said about him. Uh, so, so it sounds like at most they're negligent, and that's not enough in a lawsuit by a public figure. Even if he's a private figure, since the allegation was on a matter of public concern, the claim was this lawsuit that, was, that had been filed in federal court, that was kind of in the news already, was about Mark Walters. Turns out it's false, but it's, again, a statement on a matter of public concern. Then even if he can therefore make a negligence claim, he'd have to show actual damages, actual lost business opportunities. But apparently, the person, as best we can tell, the only person who saw this information was somebody who, you look at the chat, it's quite clear, didn't believe it. He, you know, a lot of people are properly skeptical 
in these kinds of situations. Really? This is about Mark Walters? And I think he knew the, the, the journalist knew Mark Walters. He said, really? Mark Walters being accused of that? And then probably looked up the complaint and saw that it wasn't about him. So there aren't any damages. So I think it may be very difficult for Walters to prevail. As to battle, you know, it's harder to tell. Um, uh, and uh, uh, um, uh, in part because battle says he had alerted uh, Bing to the problem and Bing didn't promptly fix it. So now maybe they, they do know that their software is outputting false information uh, about battle. And by the way, I, I, ran, I, I, I uh, uh, ran the same Bing query that he was uh, uh, saying that, he, that uh, was run about him. And it keeps, at least as of when I ran it, it kept outputting this, this false information about him, linking him to the other differently spelled criminal Jeffrey Battle. Uh, so he might have a plausible claim. We'll have to see. Uh, it's still early days yet for both lawsuits. Do you think that um, the makers of these AI chatbots will will try and, and change their, their format to fit under Section 230? I mean, is there, will there be some movement that direction or, or will Section 230 reform kind of creep up on AI? Well, I don't know about Section 230 reform in terms of proposed bills in Congress. There, there are things being talked about, both with regard to AI and other things. I just don't know which, what's likely to pass and what's not. So let, let me just focus on existing law. So some people have talked about uh, what it would take for AI companies to, to be protected by Section 230. And that would be to make sure that they only provide links to existing sources and quotes, accurate quotes from those sources. So you can imagine some search engine that uses AI technology to try to identify them, but then tries to make sure that it finds an actual source it can link to and an actual quote from that source that it will include. If that's what it does, then that's like a very smart search engine and is indeed protected. But one reason it's sometimes called generative AI is that one value of of uh, uh, programs like ChatGPT, for example, uh, is that they generate output that's a synthesis of a bunch of things. That's what readers often find very useful. And in fact, when it doesn't come up with false statements, especially about particular people that could damage their reputations, it could be quite useful. I mean, I've run searches on uh, ChatGPT asking about just some general perspective on things, and it gave me at least a good first cut of that. That's pretty useful technology. The problem is that that it's useful in part because it does kind of come up with its own text, albeit in a sense inspired, I use the term very loosely, uh, by the training data that it, that it has. So that model, which seems to be pretty central to the way that at least ChatGPT is operating now, um, is, uh, is potentially very dangerous from a libel law perspective to the companies, unless the companies figure out some way of minimizing the risk of libel. So one possibility, for example, might be is they could come up with just with some sort of filter or some sort of code for, for their, uh, their products, which says never output anything between quotation marks unless it actually exists in an, in, uh, a, an identifiable source. And I think that's kind of the minimum. Uh, I use never a little loosely here. Again, what if they're asked to come up with a story? come up with fiction. You know, that's a different matter. Presumably they'd be able to figure out where the query calls for fact or fiction. But if they're being asked for a fact, I think the minimum they should do is say, look, 
we're going to set up our software so it doesn't output that quotation mark, which is a, for human beings a very powerful signal that what's between quotation marks is is actually from some other source, doesn't output this quotation mark unless it can verify that. Uh, that wouldn't solve the problem altogether because of course, some of the libels might be from paraphrases of supposed real sources or actually I'm being imprecise here. Some of the libels may in fact be completely generated without quotation marks, but might look to the reader like they're still serious assertions like in the Jeffrey Battle case and like in the, in the uh, Walters case. Um, but at least there are some things like, for example, verifying every quote that they output and just not outputting it with quotation marks if they can't verify it, that would at least help diminish uh, the risk of liability here. So you said you wanted to stick to talking about existing laws, but, but you're actually kind of moving in a little bit of a different direction. Um, so do you think that we're heading towards a world where um, courts are developing the, you know, going through the cases now that will help generate the precedents um, to answer some of these questions? Or do you think there should be new, new legislation saying the sorts of things that you were just um, not advocating for, but suggesting? So what I've said so far is my attempt to describe as best I can the current legal landscape. Uh, and, you know, new um, old laws are applied to new technologies all the time without new statutes. Like back when the fax machine was invented, nobody came up with the Fax Libel Act, uh, right? Because, you know, the basic principles having to do with letters and the like apply just as much to faxes. On the other hand, of course, when broadcasting came up, courts did actually have to make some decisions that seemed to be technology focused. Like, here's one. There are different rules. I won't go into all the details because they're very technical, but there are different rules in many states for written defamation, which is called libel, from oral defamation, which is called slander. And the rules are not completely different, but they're somewhat different. So the question that arose is, what about radio and television? Is that libel or is it slander? Well, it's obviously oral, so it sounds like slander. But on the other hand, one of the premises behind this medium distinction in the past had been written material is more damaging because it, because it reaches more people, whereas slander, oral material is ephemeral and therefore should be, should be less subject to, to liability, whereas radio and television broadcasts can reach a lot of people indeed. So it turns out some states said it's libel. Some state courts. Some state courts said it's slander. In Georgia, the court said, we're going to call it a separate thing. We're going to call it defamacast. Not a word that has caught on, but, you know, they were trying. Uh, and there were, in fact, uh, uh, some statutes that uh, were set up specifically with regard to broadcast technology. You can imagine Congress stepping in and coming up with, with special rules, but even if it doesn't, courts will just try to adapt the existing legal rules to the new technology as they have done on many occasions in the past. Now, whether do, do Congress you should to step in is the hard question in part because I don't know what the solution to these problems is. If Maybe if you come up with a really great idea, I'd say, yes, absolutely. Let's have Congress do something about it. But until we know what Congress should do, I wouldn't say it should do anything. So I'm uh, sorry to have inter okay. interrupted you before, but um, so given this, the differences in these laws across states, uh, do you have any idea how broadcasting or if broadcasting developed differently in those states and the different kinds of things that would put on air? Uh, I, no, I no uh, uh, I'm unaware of any actual effects uh, on radio versus uh, 
uh, uh, and say radio or television broadcasting as a result of uh, of those um, uh, the the difference in treatment. I don't. I mean, maybe that's so. Maybe if somebody can do some sort of uh, uh, analysis that that conveys. Um, uh, 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 the, excuse me, that determines whether uh, radio and television broadcasters were bolder in some states than in other states. Uh, <laughs> but I'm unaware of, of, of any such. Um, to go back to something we talked about earlier about the users of the output. So, you know, depending on what they do with it, do you think that if everybody knows that um, the output is sa sausage making, the AI companies kind of have a pass? So again, if everybody knew that this was just one big joke or one big fiction generator machine, if everybody knew that this is just like, it's a short story, it's a way of coming up with, with fun fiction, then it seems to me uh, that, yeah, this wouldn't be libelous because by hypothesis, everybody, everybody knows it's just made up. Just to give an example, my understanding is that, uh, uh, that, uh, 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 various uh, various uh, photo uh, generation technology, uh, like, uh, I shouldn't say photo, excuse me, that's wrong. Various image generation technology, like Dolly, for example, is, is a famous one. They they have some ways there of constraining whether, uh, um, the output so that people can't come up with images of real people. But let's assume you have some some technology that doesn't have such constraints. And I come up with something that, some some uh, picture there. At that point of, of of some famous person doing something something bad. At that point, when I'm seeing it, no, it wouldn't be libelous because I understand that this is just a mechanism for coming up with a picture. It's not a mechanism for figuring out things about the real world. If I then redistribute it to others, maybe I'm liable. Uh, if it looks like I'm asserting that this is a this is this really happened. But in the absence of that, because we know the dolly is just supposed to make things up, uh, I don't think that there would be liability for that. On the other hand, I think ChatGPT and Bing, especially uh, a search engine output, I think people use because they think it's going to be pretty reliable much of the time. Um, so then the question is, is it enough that people are aware that there's a risk of error? And the answer there is, I don't think so. Even if everybody realizes that uh, that uh, AI output may be wrong. It's like, again, with rumors. Everybody realizes that rumors may be wrong, but if I just make up a rumor and then pass it along saying, rumor has it, Joe Schmo did this and such, I'll still be potentially liable for defamation. Uh, even though the, the, the person who receives this rumor from me realizes it might be mistaken, still it could very much damage Joe Schmo's reputation if there's even a rumor out there about him that he committed some crime. So for also to go down that road, it seems like the, the users of the AI would, would have regulations too. So medical doctors, lawyers, like, and, and even ChatGPT has been banned in some companies. Employers are saying don't use this technology, probably, you know, because they don't want them to be feeding proprietary data into the engines, but maybe too, because they don't want their employees relying on false information. Do you foresee that there'd be kind of tiers of, of, of that kind of burden on, on users of AI? Well, um, it depends. Uh, that uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, it's not basis for a lawsuit that I used ChatGPT to look somebody up or to 
look something up. By itself, that, that can't be a legal wrong on my part. If ChatGPT outputs something false and defamatory about someone to me, that could be a legal wrong on their part. That could be liable. But my simply getting this information, even if it's inaccurate, is not a legal wrong. To be sure, let's say as a lawyer, I get this information and then I give a client legal advice based on that. And it turns out the information is wrong and I should have realized it was wrong. That could be malpractice, just as it would be malpractice for me to ask somebody and then not check, uh, ask somebody for advice, let's say, and not check that advice. Or just to Google this, find some web page, turns out the web page is mistaken, I rely on it, it's malpractice potentially on my part. So it's not, it's not just running the AI query, it's not just using the program, it's acting in a professionally incompetent way based on that program. But as I said, a lot of things that people can do, even kind of incompetently based on programs output may not be legally actionable. So for example, refusing to hire someone because they got some, some information that turns out to be completely false from an AI company is generally not legally actionable. It's generally not like race discrimination. It's not, it's not violation of any contract or any other thing. Uh, so it could, could be foolish uh, on the part of the, of the prospective employer. It could be very bad for the prospective employee. But again, just like relying on a rumor in declining to hire someone uh, isn't legally actionable. Likewise, relying on AI output isn't legally actionable. So again, it depends on, on a lot of things. Uh, uh, I mean, I'll, I think in a lot of uh, people, if they rely on AI and then do and then do something wrong in their work as a result, they could just get fired. It's, they don't, the employer doesn't have to sue them for incompetence. They just fire them for incompetence saying, really? You thought it was okay to just come up with some financial forecasts for a business by running by running uh, 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 chat GPT and not checking into the results. Well, you're not a very good accountant there or you're not a very good financial forecaster. Uh, so there are all sorts of reasons why people should be quite hesitant in uh, relying on the output of AI programs. And there's some reasons why people could use them, let's say as a first approximation, as a kind of a first stab at the research, as a first draft of, a, of something else they write. But relatively few of the things that users do are going to be legally actionable. From your article, what's next in, in your scholarship? Where do you think the most interesting questions are going to come from as you see AI? developments. And even at the White House, there were voluntary commitments by the big tech companies. What direction is, is the law going? And then public announcements by the tech companies? You know, it's very hard to, to figure this out. Very hard to, to predict such things. You know, I think a year ago, I think very few people predicted that that AI uh, would be as big a deal, that, um, uh, that uh, uh, that some lawyers would, however foolishly, just file motions written by ChatGPT. Uh, I think a lot of people are surprised. I know I was surprised that ChatGPT output comes across as as grammatical and as plausible and convincing as it as it is. That's that's part of the problem, right? If it, uh, precisely because it seems plausible, it could be especially damaging when it when it's false. So look, if two or say two or three years from now, let's assume there are huge surges in the uh, in the technology to the point that most business disputes are just submitted for arbitration by some AI arbitrator. Uh, I mean, imagine, imagine that somebody says, uh, 
we've come up with this AI arbitrator. We've run it through some, some blind tests where we compare its output to the output of human arbitrators. Our panel of evaluators who didn't know which output was from the AI arbitrator and which was from the human arbitrators, found the AI arbitrator at least as good as the human ones. So business people, you can either go and litigate the case um, with some risk of error because nobody trusts judges and juries completely. Uh, and uh, it'll take you three years and $300,000. Or you can submit it to this arbitrator also with some risk of error, but no greater than with judges or jurors. And you can get the output in 30 minutes for $3,000. And a mania business person would say, hmm, sounds like a good deal to me. And, you know, maybe it's not perfect justice. It's not human provided justice. I don't care. I just want to get this litigation behind me, right? And once that starts happening, then I think a lot of taxpayers will say, well, wait a minute, if it's good enough for business people where their own money's at stake, maybe it should be good enough for us. Maybe we should have uh, have civil and even criminal trials uh, be done through AIs, maybe. If you imagine that you have this kind of AI arbitrator that's good enough in two or three years. But if it turns out that that the, the technology development is plateaued and there's and uh, the, these problems of it just making stuff up haven't been fixed, then what I think will happen is that AI software will still be used because apparently even existing versions could be used to write a first draft of a motion or to evaluate some documents with some degree of, of, of reliability, even if not perfect, but it won't really fundamentally change the way, say, law is practiced. Likewise, you know, some people are worried about AIs becoming self-aware, whatever that means exactly, coming up with our own preferences and beliefs and ideas and desires. Again, whatever that means exactly. We don't know what it means for humans, really, deep down inside. So it's hard to know what it means for AIs. Then is it possible that AIs will start attacking humans, trying to exterminate humans, trying to threaten or blackmail humans or bribe humans? Also possible. You know, the Terminator concern is not a is not a trivial concern. Uh, I, 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 I'm far from sure it's going to happen. If I were sure, then of course we'd we'd need to we'd need to uh, to try to figure out some way of turning off AI development. I don't think that's a good idea at this point. Uh, but I do think we need to be constantly concerned about that. And if in two or three years from now there are more and more examples of AIs doing real damage. Uh, for a variety of reasons, including that maybe they are developing their own desires and, and preferences, then we might have a very different regulatory system. Finally, one thing just to keep in mind that, again, we don't know about is AI indubitably has tremendous military applications. Um, so that means that assuming that it's useful for a military, there's really no way to just stop the development. Because if we say, okay, we won't do this, well, the Chinese aren't going to say the same. The Russians aren't going to say the same. Uh, and I just used two, two countries which are potentially hostile to us, but also have a lot of technological savvy. I mean, North Koreans wouldn't either. Maybe the North Koreans aren't technologically up there yet, although, you know, it's not like it requires a Manhattan Project type of, uh, type of uh, uh, investment in order to, 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 to develop AI, it appears. Uh, so, uh, so it may very well be that uh, there will be an arms race that requires the development of uh, better and better AI for military purposes. And then the question is what we can do to to diminish the risks posed by AI, given that we can't just stop AI because of the risks to our national security of not working on AI.
Great. Well, I mean, that, that's a great ending to the, the beginning of AI. <laughs> so thank you so much, um, Professor Volok, for coming to stay in touch as AI law and policy continues to develop. Very much my pleasure. Uh, and uh, thanks for having me.